You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Nehemiah 4. Now, uh, when Senballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, will it break down their stone wall? Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where there are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let, the, uh, let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanlot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked across, or I looked in a rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held their spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leader stood behind the whole house. Apologies, phone's going crazy here. Behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the walls, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapons with another. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of the dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at the time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem. That way, or that they may be a guard for us 
by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family. It is uh, great to jump back in to Nehemiah with you this morning. I'm going to pray and we'll get after it in just a second. I just wanted to uh, add my voice to a couple announcements very briefly and then we will move forward. First of all, just want to just again emphasize membership class is coming up uh, in the middle of this month on on Monday evenings, two Monday evenings in in a row. And I just want to give an invite to those of you that have maybe been with us for a little while and kind of determining and praying if this might be the place you call home. That's just a great play to get to, place to get to know us in, in sort of like a family room environment where we can kind of know a little more about what we believe, what we feel that God has called us to as a church. And so make sure that you guys sign up online for that. So that's just for our new people. For everyone, I want to uh, just emphasize that we're going to be relaunching something that we tried to launch last year but was difficult with COVID and everything going on. And we're calling them our regional communities. These are maybe similar if you've been in like kind of like a small group or a community group, but a little bit unique from that. What we want to see happening is what we read about last week in chapter three over and over and over again. Last week, we read about the people of God, that they were side by side. We want to see the people of New City experiencing the same thing. And so what we've done is broken up some regions in our church, everywhere from like Gainesville, Warrington, kind of that crowd. Uh, You know, we've got Old Town. We've got a group for young adults. You can find all of the groups online if you click our regional communities. Um, But specifically during this season for us as New City, recognizing coming out of everything from the past year, we are rebuilding some things. And this is a moment where we want to rebuild the kind of church that's distinct from the Northern Virginia culture that we live in. So what kind of stands out about Northern Virginia, community is not a big deal here. Productivity, your job, uh, you know, the hustle, is what stands out around here. People walking closely with one another, uh, especially people walking closely with one another that are maybe kind of somewhat different from each other in age or ethnicity or socioeconomic background. We want to see that happening in the life of our church. And so I want to call on everybody in this room, everybody who listens to this podcast to get online this week, sign up for a regional community. If you're already a part of one, we deleted your name off of there, okay? So we cleared the whole rosters because we felt like we needed everyone to kind of sign back up. So we had an updated list of who's, who's going to be involved. So today, get online and sign up. And we're hoping by next Sunday, we can send you all from this service to have lunch with your uh, regional uh, community. Uh, no, you can't find out what's being served before which group you sign up with. Whatever you sign up with, that's what you're having for lunch. That's, what's, that's what it's going to be. But I, I hope you all will get online, sign up for a group that's closest to where you live. Uh, if you're just kind of far away and there's not a group nearby, just pick one and jump in and have lunch with those folks next week. Amen? All right, let's pray together, and then let's look a little more closely at chapter 4 of Nehemiah. Father, now would you speak to us through your inspired word as we have just been reflecting on the privilege that it is to draw into your presence, and as we draw into your presence as your people, you have a lot to say to us. I I think of different times I've sat across the table from people I look up to and I've just been having a hard time and how they've just spoken into my life and encouraged me to persevere and continue in the work that you've called my, my own self to. 
Lord, in this moment, as we stand before your word and as people in this room have different obstacles and challenges that they face in their life, I pray that you as their father would speak to them about endurance, continuing faithfully. Lord, I pray that we would all be able to say, like Paul at the end of our own journey, that I have fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished the race. Lord, help us to learn from these people so long ago as they faced opposition, what they did to continue fighting the good fight, finishing the race, and keeping the faith, God. Amen. So, I, I, you know, I've voiced at different points up here how, how last year, personally, just very difficult, just came to the point with COVID and different things about church planting and all of the stuff going on, of just being burned out and being tapped out. And I sat across the table from a dear member of ours. Uh, this couple, you know, got stationed to Virginia Beach. So they're uh, down there, Rich and Heather Lee. Many of you, many of you remember these folks. And, uh, you know, he's just an encourager. And so I sat across the table from him uh, with some spicy Thai food on the table. And uh, just expressing what was going on. And he shared with me like a little story. It's very simple. It's like a parable, basically, for how to continue when things get hard. And I want to share with you a little phrase that, that he shared with me from that story uh, that, I, that I think sets up where we're going this morning well. Uh, he described, you know, so he's married to uh, Heather, who is the most active and athletic person I've ever met in my life. Um, most of us, like, some of y'all have been on runs and things with her and just instantly regretted it. It was miserable the whole time. Very active, very athletic. She could have been perhaps in the Olympics, but they would have maybe just said, this is, this is not fair. This is a cut above. You can't compete with all the ordinary people. But she wanted him to, to do this half marathon with her. And he didn't particularly enjoy running, but as a good husband, he died to himself and committed to doing it. And he uh, started running in Quantico, where he was stationed, which uh, apparently, I'm not personally allowed on Quantico, uh, uh, but he, he started running there. And apparently in Quantico, there are these huge hills, just up and down, up and down. And that's where he was training. And everything about him just wanted to stop and quit. And, and I believe he told me that, that he had a trainer that was helping him kind of pick up endurance and work through this process of training through a half marathon. And, and as he was struggling with this process, his trainer made him make this simple commitment. You look at me in the eyes right now and you promise me you will never, ever quit running uphill. You can take a break, you can pause, you can step aside, but when you are running uphill, never, ever quit. And so he just had the resolve, okay, that's what I'm going to do is I'm training for this marathon. I will never quit while I'm running uphill. And so he would run and just one foot in front of the other up the hills till he, he finally get to, the, to let up a little bit. He, he actually was, was feeling okay at that point when it would level out. And maybe the hill would even turn downwards and it would actually become, uh, you know, those of you who don't run can't imagine this, but it would actually become slightly pleasant as, you know, now the breeze is flowing and, and the uphill battle was over. And so he, he realized like the wisdom of that statement, never, never quit running uphill, is number one, if you just get through it, you'll be okay afterwards, after you get through this really challenging part. And then number two, like the deepest growth and transformation is actually physically happening to you while you keep persevering uphill. And I just remember with all of it going on in the middle of last year, him kind of ending this story about his marathon training and sitting across the table from me at Siam Classic and saying to me, Will, never quit running uphill. When it gets hard, when it gets difficult, you can get a break, you can tap out for a second, but never quit running uphill. 
hill. Here's what's going on with the people of Israel. They had years of pain and suffering as they were exiled, and then finally things are looking up for them. The opportunity to rebuild their city has just come about miraculously uh, by uh, Nehemiah being sent to rebuild the wall and by uh, the resources that they need being provided. I mean, smooth sailing. Everything is going so well. And then chapter three, we just see all of the people. This is perhaps the most miraculous part. All of the people are unified. They're building. It's all going the right way. It's smooth sailing. And then... In chapter 4, they begin to have to run uphill. For the first time in their rebuilding process, opposition, difficulty has entered into the equation. And what we see them doing that you and I so often struggle to do is in the midst of hardship and difficulty, they keep going. They keep persevering even when it gets difficult. This morning, because I've struggled in my own life, maybe you followers of Jesus, what we begin to think to ourselves is when opposition enters in, when difficulty enters in, when the hill turns upward, something must be wrong. God must not be in this because it's gotten hard all of a sudden. And so surely what this must mean is that I need to take a step back and quit because of how difficult this is, when in fact, what God is often calling us to do in the midst of the struggle, of the difficulty, is to keep going, is to not quit when we're running uphill, because it's in that moment, number one, there is relief ahead, and number two, God is doing some of the most transformative work in our lives when we persevere, when we endure in the midst of opposition. So let me just ask you as we get ready to look at this passage more closely to just take inventory of your life for just a moment and to answer this question for yourself. Man, what uphill battle are you in right now that you're tempted to quit in? Where has it become difficult that you have just sort of, you're at the end, you've had enough? Is it maybe just something specific God has called you to? Uh, you know, something he put on your heart a while ago? Maybe your vocation, your work, you just showing up on Monday morning is that uphill battle? Is it your marriage? You're just at a place with your own marriage where you're just wondering, I must have made some terrible mistake. This can't be right. This is so difficult. I can't handle one more conflict. Is that the, the uphill battle that you're in right now? Is it your relationship with the church? You've just been burned enough, hurt enough, been through enough relational conflict in the church where you're just, you're either ready to tap out or at the very least just show up on Sunday, do your thing, and then move on. Man, real directly and real honestly, are you tempted to quit with your faith this morning? At some point, you've trusted the gospel, but you're beginning to wonder if any of this is real, if it's worth it to keep going. Where in your life this morning are you tempted to quit? What I pray we realize this morning is that opposition does not mean that God is not in it. In fact, it very well may mean he's calling us to continue, to keep running even through this uphill battle. And so how do we do it? What do we do in the midst of that uphill battle to find strength, to keep on moving, to make it to the next day, to, to not give up? How, how do we do that? I think the example of the Israelites with the opposition they faced 
and their own uphill battle will serve us well. So I want to walk through this passage, just look at kind of each section individually. I want to look at four areas, okay? Four observations that we can make uh, about their continuance, their, uh, their, their keeping on going in the midst of difficulty that I think will help us. And we'll begin with this first observation. How was it that they were able to keep on going in the midst of opposition. Number one, they kept on going because they decided to turn to the Lord in prayer. I don't know if you're ready for some like grand surprise, like spiritual insight that would just change everything to you. Nope, they turned to the Lord in prayer. But honestly, it's, it's these simple things that we save for like the last thing we do that are actually the things that we need to be faithful in. Simple, faithful things that allow us to keep going. And so watch this little conversation that happens between Nehemiah, the, you know, and the people with him, and this guy Sanballat, and this other guy Tobiah. So they start building the wall. And Sanballat comes in, and he sort of just begins in verse 1, angry, greatly enraged, and he jeered. That's like laughing, mocking at the Jews. And so he looks at them rebuilding the wall, and he probably looks at the people building that and just thinking to himself, man, what a joke. Are you serious? What is this ragtag group of people, these exiles, going to just dig into the trash heap of rocks and rubble and rebuild the wall? You've got to be kidding me. Are you going to finish it in one day? Do you really think you're going to be able to rebuild this wall? And so he's bullying them. And then there's this guy, Tobiah, that reminds me of like, you know, sometimes you have the bully and then the little sidekick that's like, yeah. And they, they throw in their little jab like Dwight with Michael Scott. Like if a fox even goes up on that, turn at them, mocking at him. And then Tobiah comes in and he's like, yeah, if a fox even goes up on that wall, the whole thing's going to fall down. And so they're just having this little moment of mocking, uh, making fun of Tobiah, or making fun of Nehemiah and, and the Israelites. And the response that Nehemiah has is so significant. Verse 4 begins with him basically saying, hear, or listen up. And there's some options of some ways he could have responded to them in that moment as they're mocking him. He could have said, hey, listen up. I don't know if you realize this or not, but we're Israelites Man, our ancestors have actually built some of the marvels of the world with Solomon's temple and what Jerusalem once was. And so keep laughing it up, but we'll be perfectly fine in this. Or as they're mocking him, he could have said, I don't know if you realize this, but we actually have the backing of King Artaxerxes himself. That would have been like us saying, hey, we, for our project, we are backed by Jeff Bezos. We will be just fine. So you keep laughing and watch what we do. Uh, or, or he, you know, he could have, could have responded in any number of, of ways. Maybe he could have said, uh, let's see the wall that you've built. You know, you're going to mock us for what we're doing. Let's see the work that you've done if you're such an expert in wall building. He could have said all of these things on a horizontal level. He doesn't say one word to them. He doesn't say one word back. Verse 4, here, not Tobiah and Sanballat, here, O oh, our God. We are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. And he says pretty aggressively here in verse 5, do not cover their guilt and let their, not their sin be blotted out from their sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. He prays. He prays and I want you to see the difference in sort of like emotional response. So here you have Sanballat throwing a little tantrum off to the side. Nehemiah begins towards prayer and just this very simple, steady response afterwards in verse six. He prays, verse six, so we built the wall. 
They don't get sucked into the drama. They don't get pulled into the, the little argument with Sanballat. They simply pray and they keep building the wall. Now, this test of faith of trusting the Lord in the midst of their opposition is going to get tested even further. Because you see in, uh, later in this beginning section, not only are they threatening verbally, now they're threatening violence to them. So verse 7 when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were uh, beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Now, if there was a time to turn away from prayer, that was it. Okay, now it's not just verbal. Now they are going to physically try to assault us. Let's now rally, stop building the wall and have some sort of response here. But read verse 9. And so we prayed to our God. They continue to pray. Now, they're going to get practical in just a minute. But I want you to clearly observe the first response in the midst of opposition. The first response with a temptation to quit is to not even look at the people, not even look at the situation, but turn upward to the Lord in prayer. What's your first turning point when you face opposition like this? Where do you look first? Nehemiah sets the example of turning to prayer. Where do you look first? Do you complain to people? Is that number one? Something's going on at work. Something's going on in your family. And you just need a person to vomit it all on, uh, you know, to, 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 to get it, uh, you know, out of, out of, out of you know, your own mind that, that you're carrying. Do you turn to, to people? Do you maybe bottle it up and just press it down so you don't have to deal with it? Do you kind of uh, match fire with fire and just get angry and enraged when you're facing opposition? Nehemiah sets the example. Step one, take it to the Lord in prayer. Listen to what the famous hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, calls us to do in the midst of situations like this. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all take it to the Lord in prayer? Man, I love just our, our corporate prayer this morning as Joe led us and reminded of us just of that bold invitation we have from God himself. Take it to the Lord in prayer. We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's the first thing that he does. And then secondly, what I want to see happening in this passage, is they begin by turning to the Lord in prayer. And then in their uphill battle, they rally support from other people. They turn to the Lord in prayer, number one. And then number two, they rally support from other people. These two points are not contradictory. We can take it to the Lord in prayer and trust him to work, and we can go to his people and find support in the struggle that we're facing because the very way that God may answer his prayer to keep going, uh, to, to continue in what he's called us to, is through the support of the church. The, the instrument that he so often wants to use is his church. So listen to what the people say in verse 10. It was said... In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. Listen closely to this. By ourselves, by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. 
So people in a section of the construction project look at the rubble, look at the wall, look at their weariness, and come to the end of themselves and saying, by ourselves, we cannot do this. Now, that's calling us to quit. No, it caused them to actually be humble and say, we in and of ourselves cannot do this alone. By ourselves, we can't carry out what God has called us to do. And then I absolutely love the response of God's people down in verse 12. The people say, by ourselves, we can't do directions. 12, at that time, the Jews who lived near came from all directions. What a beautiful picture of the support that's available in God's people. Where number one, the people express in humility, there's something that I'm called to that I can't do on my own. And then as soon as that's expressed, the people come, it says, from all directions, from all over the place to support them in their hour of need. Point being this, whether it's us as a church or you with your individual calling in life, marriage, raising kids, continuing to walk with Jesus, whatever it is, there will be things in your life that are beyond your ability to carry by yourself. There just will. What you need in that moment is the people of God to come and help carry those burdens, uh, your family to step in and help in the midst of that difficult moment. Man, I can remember personally one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life that if I didn't have the support of my family, there's no way I would have finished, was when I was in Texas and I decided to do the Stanley Williams Burger Challenge. The, the Stanley Williams Burger Challenge, let me explain this to you. It was a burger that was like at least eight inches tall, tons of meat on it, and I had committed to this, that I was going to, to make this thing happen. There were pounds of meat on it, beef patties, brisket, bacon, egg, sauce, like everything you can think of was, was on this. And I, I began, and about halfway through, man, I was ready to throw in the towel. It was too much. I couldn't keep going. But luckily, moment, calling out my manhood. You started this. You be a man, and you finish this, this challenge. There are people here that have seen you begin. Do not bring shame on our family. You finish what you've started. And then I could just see the look in my kids' faces as I battled bite after bite to keep going. Like, what kind of lives would they live? What kind of shame and sorrow would they carry into their future if they saw me quit in that moment? And so they encourage, keep going, keep going. And finally, with their support, I was able to, to finish the challenge. Now, maybe that's not a significant accomplishment or something, you know, that I needed to, to finish in your view. That's fine. But I could also name a lot of other areas in my life, man, where at different points I was ready to throw in the towel only to then be picked up again by people coming in. Early on in marriage, man, there was that question, have we made a terrible mistake? And just like this story said, there were people in the church that rushed in and walked with us in the midst of that to help us keep going. There were times in seminary, ready to throw in the towel, had enough, and there were people that rushed in and helped carry it. Ministry, I could go down the list. Simple point, there are going to be moments where we need to call for the support of our church family. That's why you've been placed in a body and you are not just an individual. The question is this, are you humble? Are you humble enough in the midst of that marriage struggle, in the midst of that work struggle, in the midst of that faith struggle? to say, I am having a hard time here. Are you humble enough to ask for help? And then on the flip side, are the people of God then available, just like this said, to rush in from all directions to provide support in that moment? 
I want us to be the kind of church where, number one, man, we are humble enough to ask for help. You didn't save yourself. You're going to continue to need help on this Christian journey that you're in. Let us be humble enough to ask for help, and let us be ready and loud that we don't ask for help when we need it, express the need of it. We can neither be so proud that we don't ask for help when we need it, and we can neither be so busy that we can't step in and walk with people with the struggles that they're facing in their life. We can't do it alone. We need to call on the help of the people of God, just like they did in this story. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall or continue in the marriage or whatever the thing is that you're struggling with. By ourselves, we can't, but with God's people, we can't. You know, just in closing this point, like there's sort of a theological conundrum here in these moments. Like we could ask ourselves, hey, if the people had quit and not gotten the help that they needed, would God have just rebuilt the wall on his own? Or was the rebuilding of the wall, the fulfillment of God's plan, dependent upon the help of other people? Which is it? My answer to you this morning is yes. And both. God fulfills his purposes. None of his plans will be thwarted, but he often doesn't do it just by waving his hand and making it happen. Sometimes, more often than not, especially in the church age, the way God fulfills his purposes in our life, even his purposes of salvation to the end, are by sending in people as a tool, as an instrument that help you keep going. Personally, I want to have the kinds of people in my life, the kinds of relationships in my life, that when I hit the wall, they're there to help support and walk with me to keep going to the end. God fulfills his purposes for the wall, for the church, for your own salvation. He often does that through the instrument or the means of his people stepping in to help. So how did they keep going? Once again, as they faced opposition, number one, they turned to the Lord in prayer. Number two, they rallied support. And then number three, just briefly, they, they zoomed out and focused on what was really important in that moment. They, they zoomed out from what was right in front of them for just a second and they focused on what really mattered that helped them keep going. So they, they say, that the people in Judah, there is too much rubble. They're saying to themselves, we can't keep going. It's too hard. It's too difficult. They get some support practically. And here's why that's so important. When we are doing something that God's called us to, whether it's that hard marriage, parenting, job, church, whatever it is, just like the people, sometimes all we can see is that next brick, right? They needed to just get that next brick up there, and they kept doing it. And when all you can see is that next brick, and you will want to throw in the towel. It's not worth it. You can't keep going. So when all you can see is that next marriage conflict, or when all you can see is that next Monday morning at work, or when all you can see is that next uh, Sunday at church where, you know, there's relational conflict or you're not really getting anything out of it, if all you can see is that next brick, you will want to tap out and quick. But watch what Nehemiah reminds them to focus on. First, he says down at, at verse 14, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Don't forget about him. And I just love this. I love this in the midst of their opposition. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. In other words, all they could see is the next brick that needed to go on the wall. Nehemiah says, it's not about the next brick. It's about your families. 
It's about your kids, your daughters, your sons, your marriages, your future generations. Don't just focus on the struggle that's right in front of you. Zoom out and focus on what really matters in that moment. But so often all we can see is just that next brick, that next day, that next struggle. Zoom out. Focus on your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. If you're in a place in your life where it's just hard to keep going, do not make a decision based on the next brick. Make a decision based on your family, your kids, your wives, your church, uh, the glory of God. Focus on the things that, that really are significant in life, not just the struggle that's right in front of you. They focused on the things that really mattered. And then the, the final thing that I want to observe here as they continued going in the midst of this opposition, in the midst of this struggle, is that they were watchful. They were on guard. They were watchful in the places where they were vulnerable. They were watchful in the places where they were vulnerable to attack. So uh, what goes from just this scene of argument with these surrounding nations uh, to then threat of violence really turns into a, a, a remarkable sight that we see happening in this passage. So now they have battles on two fronts to put this thing back together. If you've ever worked out in the hot sun doing landscape or construction, you know that's hard enough in and of itself. So on the front, they've got that. But behind them, they've got the threat of these surrounding armies that are plotting and planning to come and kill them. So any normal situation would say, okay, that's enough. That's too much. Let's slow down. Let's take a break. Let's regroup. But that's not what we see happening in this passage. I love the picture that Nehemiah describes here. Man, with one hand, they've got their tools rebuilding the wall. And with another hand, they're holding their spears and their swords on defense for the imminent attack that might come from them. They are building, and as they build and focus on this really important thing, they are on defense. And, and you'll notice later in the passage that uh, it, it, they describe some of the vulnerabilities in the wall that they needed to be in defense too. Verse 19, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, I love this call, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So as they build, there's some vulnerabilities, some place where they are subject to, poten to potential attack. And so what they say is, hey, in these vulnerable places that we haven't rebuilt, we're going to uh, station ourselves, and then if an attack comes, we'll blow the trumpet, and then you guys come and help support us. And I love the dichotomy there, or the blending between the support of the people and then Nehemiah saying, our God will fight for us. So we're vulnerable. We need to be on guard. If we're struggling, we're going to get support from you, and our God will be right there with us to help support us through this attack. So they were watchful, aware of the vulnerable places to which they might receive an attack. And we are different in two ways. Number one, we are not building, you're building at your vocation, you're building, we talked about a couple weeks ago. And then another way that we're dissimilar is we're not going to be attacked by Sanballat or Tobiah. Those guys are long gone. But make no mistake about it, we are subject to attack while we seek to carry out the things that God has entrusted to us. 
I want you to hear the striking parallel to this passage over in 1 Peter chapter 5. Would you please turn there with me? I want you to read these words for yourself. It's so important. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Peter, speaking to the church, says to us, Be sober-minded. In other words, be focused, be awake, focus, be sober-minded, be watchful. Just like the people of Israel were building the wall, they had to be watchful, they had to be aware. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Man, we're not building a wall, we're building some different things than they were. And we're also not, uh, uh, you know, safe from any sort of attack. There is an attacker. There is an enemy prowling around like a lion seeking to devour you. And just like the people in this story hated the work of God and wanted to stop it, the enemy that we face hates the work of God in your life and wants to use anything he can to derail you and to stop God's work from, from happening. And so here's the question for you. Are you aware? Can you even name the vulnerable places in your life? I think that's so important. Just like they were able to look at the wall and say, hey, humbly speaking, if an attack comes, it's probably coming here. This is a weak place. So let's be watchful and engaged and maybe even rally support when we hit that place. Are you ruining you? What are those places for you? Can you name the vulnerabilities that you face as you continue to walk after Jesus? Uh, maybe the vulnerability for you is just being alone. You, you struggle with connecting deeply. You can be a bit of a loner. And when you're alone, man, that is when you are vulnerable to attack. Are there some of you where the place where you are vulnerable, just honestly speaking, you know it, are the bottles in your fridge or in your cabinet? Like, yes, you are able to enjoy the gift of alcohol from time to time, but when it all hits the fan and when you're at a really pressured point in your life, that's the vulnerability that you turn to. Is it your phone or some other screen or some app that when it gets hard, when the pressure turns up, that's where you look to for some kind of relief? Whether it's just hours of mindlessly scrolling, or it's something explicit, or maybe you seek to meet up with someone that you have no business meeting up with through that? Is it your phone? What are the places in your life that you're vulnerable to attack? Is it a credit card? Just when the heat turns up, just going and making a, 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 per, a, a purchase of some sort? Is it you just know when there's been a very intense week at work, that's a, that's a place of vulnerability. That's where you're open to attack. Is it maybe when you travel for work, you know that's where it's coming. Or maybe when your family has to go, alone, or, uh, go out of town and you're alone. Simply speaking, we need to put some thought into the vulnerable places one to devour. And we need to be able to name, hey, if the attack com comes, it's most likely coming from there. Be watchful, be aware in those vulnerable places in your life. I think a great discipleship group discussion coming soon for all of us in discipleship groups, and if you're not in one yet, we're going to be opening that up pretty soon here in September, but a great discussion would be this. Hey, if you go down, where's it going to be? Like if you had to plot an attack against yourself, where would it be? And what does it look like for us as a discipleship group to, to rally to you in the midst of that vulnerability? 
Where are you going down? Because it, it says that there's a prowling enemy seeking to devour us. Where are you going down? And what does it look like to set up some support, some help in that area? This again comes to that place of humility, recognizing we don't do this on our own. We need to welcome people in, to speak truth into our life uh, when, when it gets hard. What are those areas and what does it look like for your group to rally together for you in the midst of those moments. The people saw the work that they were called to. They saw the attack that was coming. They worked with tools in one hand, weapons in the other, continuing in the work that God had called them to, being watchful and aware of the areas in which they might come under attack. What's our point this morning? We never quit running uphill. We continue in the work that God has called us to even when it gets difficult. We keep going. Opposition is coming for us. You may be in it right now. It doesn't mean that you are off track. In fact, God is perhaps doing some of his deepest work in your life in the midst of that difficulty in the midst of that struggle. And what I long for you to be able to say, uh, for myself to be able to say, for my family to be able to say, Apostle Paul, when he came to the end of his race, after a struggle, a life of struggle, opposition, persecution, Paul was able to say this at the very end of his life to his disciple Timothy. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Man, what's it look like for you even now, to fight the good fight, to finish your race so that you can say at the end that you've, you've finished well. You know, I spoke briefly about Rich Lee and him speaking into my life. Another moment in my life, uh, just someone who I looked up immensely was a guy named Dave Rutledge. He was the guy who started the program, Giselle, troubled and drug-addicted youth that I met Jesus through. He is perhaps the most zealous and admirable man I'd ever walked with as, as he walked with the Lord. And the challenge he faced in his ministry especially was watching these kind of like drug-addicted young people or maybe people beginning the road to recovery as they were older and just starting out so well, seeing the transformation, seeing the light on their face, see them begin this incredible journey only after leaving within a few weeks to be right back on the same drugs, uh, some of them ending up in jail, some of them ODing and being completely dead and gone. And so he had this phrase, I heard him say, all the time that I want to commend to you this morning. It is not about how you start. It's about how you finish. It is not about the start. It's about the finish. There are many, he would say, uh, people that start out looking so well, so promising, so many marriages that start well. It's not about the start. It's about the finish. So many ideas for ministry and works that God might call you to that start so well, but it's not about the start. It's about the finish. So many journeys with Jesus that begin so well, but it's not about the start. It's about the finish. Why? Because everything you do will be overshadowed by the finish. You can have a great run, uh, you know, a great beginning to whatever you start out with. All of it will be overshadowed by the finish. You can have a terrible start. You can start out in life or in your walk with Jesus about how you finish. The Lord has called us to persevere, to keep going, to not celebrating good starts, but to keep doing the hard work so that we finish well. I mean, this mentor of mine, he contracted ASL. 
Uh, he came to the point in his life where he couldn't even uh, move his body. And his last words that his family ever heard him spurk, speak was shouting hallelujah, praising God even in the midst of the uphill run that he was on. Man, however the Lord, whatever suffering or trials he puts into our life, he is calling us to continue faithfully to persevere to the end, which brings us to the final way that we do that. In closing, Hebrews chapter 12. Let me just invite you to verses one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, New City Fellowship, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. How do, we, how do we keep going? How do we keep enduring? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we finish our, our race? We got to keep every single day, every single week, fixing our eyes on the one who already finished his. We finish our race by fixing our eyes on the one who finished his. Jesus endured more suffering than any of us will ever face. He didn't back down for a second. He completed his race in love for you and I. I've been listening to this rendition of this song, uh, you know, Tom Petty's famous, famous song, I Won't Back Down. You know, maybe uh, some of you, you know, remember that. The, the lyrics go like this. Uh, you know, just an ordinary human speaking, I won't back down. I won't back down. Though I stand at the gates of hell, I won't back down. Tom Petty and anybody else who sings that is lying. All of us back down. All of us quit, not even at the gates of hell. In fact, humanity backed down in paradise. In paradise, we turned aside from God and compromised uh, following the enemy we referenced earlier. There is only one who not only went up to the gates of hell, went into hell itself on that cross, suffering the wrath of God and endured to the end. He said, I will not back down for the sake of my church, for the sake of you and I who back down all the time. Jesus says, I will never back down to where he was able to say all the way at the end, similarly to Paul, it's finished. It's finished. That's why we take these elements. Your Jesus that would not back down for you, for you. And as you consider this Jesus who gave his life in hell itself for you, you will find the strength to keep going with whatever it is the Lord has called you to tomorrow. Whatever the Lord has called you to when you leave this place, you remember that Jesus shed his blood, gave his body unwavering at all for the joy that was set before him. If you're here this morning and you've not come to a place in your life where you believe in all of this about Jesus, you don't believe that he died on the cross for you, you don't believe that he rose again, I want to invite you to stay in your seats at this moment. We do believe that communion is a meal for those who have put their faith in Jesus and now exercise that faith by taking communion. But let me just say one last time, man, it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. I don't know where your life has been as it relates to God. 
I don't know how many failures and regrets and sins you've been caught up in. I don't care how far you seem from God right now. It is not about how you start. It's about what Jesus did for you uh, when he said, it is on the cross for you. I have buried your sinful life in the grave, and I have raised up from the grave to give you new life. This morning, you can experience that new life for yourself. I commend it to you. Instead of taking this communion meal, would you remain in your seat and ponder what would it be like, what would it look like for yourself to trust in the finished work of Jesus on your own? Let's now then pray together as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. And let's continue to call to mind as we take these elements, the Lord Jesus who would not back down for the sake of the salvation that he has provided for us. Let's pray. So, Lord, we do now look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Lord, you've founded some faith in this room. God, I pray that you'd perfect it and bring it to completion, that we might stand blameless before you in the day of Christ. I pray that you will help us to persevere and to endure in the things that you've called us to. Help us to remember that it was for the joy set before you that you endured the cross, despising its shame. And now, You've resurrected and are seated at the right hand of God on high. We worship you, our risen and ascended Jesus, as we remember your death through these elements. Help us continue now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.